If you follow politics or if you listen to any of the presidential debates or the newscasts or, or all the things that certainly have started a year out from, uh, from the actual election, uh, you'll hear different candidates talk about what they think will make for a strong nation. Uh, sometimes they'll talk about a strong military, a robust economy. They'll talk about a strong educational system or about being leaders on the world stage or about diversity or about equal opportunity, and the list can go on and on and on. Um, and even sometimes if the candidates agree on what would make the nation strong, often they agree on how that should happen. Normally, though, when, when they talk about that, they're talking about if you elect certain leaders and, and they're able to pass certain laws, uh, and it kind of has a governmental solution to it. And I understand that because that's, that's what they do. Uh, but today, we're going to be talking about a strong nation, but from a, a little bit different, a little bit different angle. I do want to say, though, uh, up front, that I, I do believe in, that it's important for us to strive to elect godly people. Uh, a lot of times we vote for people not based on what they stand for or their their Christian principles, but sometimes it's just kind of a popularity thing. And I think we do need to be serious about that. I also think that it's important that we pass uh, laws that reflect our our, our Christian values. And, and there's nothing uh, that says that we, as God's people, can can't be a, an influence in that. So I do want to say that. But, but what we're talking about today, we, we need to realize is that a nation is made up of its citizens. Uh, without the citizens, there, there, there is no nation. It's the people that make the nation. And as the citizens go, so goes the nation. I mean, if if, if you have moral citizens, then there's a moral climate in the nation. If you have righteous lives, if, if, if people live righteous lives, then, then you have a righteous nation. And if people treat others as, as they want to be treated, then, then you have a just nation. So, so the people are the ones that make the nation, not so much, not so much the government. But what does the Bible have to say uh, about a strong nation? We're going to be looking at Nehemiah here in a moment. We've been looking at Nehemiah uh, for actually the entire, entire fall. And we, you know that Nehemiah was, uh, had a burden to rebuild the wall of Jerusalem. And once he did that, uh, he dealt with the spiritual lives of the people. But as we come to chapters 11 and 12, we're really talking about uh, Nehemiah's desire to build a strong nation. And what we're going to find out today as we look at this is that Nehemiah uh, basically had three essentials that he felt uh, were important to building a strong nation. And we're going to look at those this morning. The first one that we're going to look at is service. Service as being the first essential to building a strong nation. Nehemiah chapter 11, beginning in verse 1. It says, Now the leaders of the people settled in Jerusalem. The rest of the people cast lots to bring one out of every ten of them to live in Jerusalem, the holy city while the remaining nine were to stay in their own towns. The people commended all who volunteered to live in Jerusalem. Nehemiah realized that it was important now for, for people to actually settle in, in Jerusalem. And uh, he realized also that Jerusalem, a strong Jerusalem, was important basically to the, to the economy and, and all those types of, of cultural things that related to the, to the nation. But Jerusalem was in desperate need 
of, of population, of people to actually live in the city. Certainly the, the wall had been the first priority and providing housing uh, had been uh, a priority, but there were few people to actually live there. Now, leaders uh, had lived in the city, but the people themselves, for a lot of them, lived outside of the city. Uh, either uh, on places they had lived for a long time or, or maybe they lived outside by choice, uh, who knows. But what we find out from, from Nehemiah here is that probably people weren't real keen uh, about moving to the city. Maybe they liked it outside of the city or maybe they just didn't want to go through the hassle of, of uprooting their family and bringing them in. But regardless of the reason, we find that people weren't real keen about moving to the city. So Nehemiah uh, does a couple of things. The first thing that he does is, is he casts lots. The people cast lots to see who's going to live uh, in the city. And, and we just read that one out of every, every ten. Uh, cast lots, we'll just say they drew straws basically. Uh, to see who was going to live there. That was one way. But the other way was he made an appeal. If anybody wants to volunteer. And we find from this passage that people actually did volunteer to come and live. They didn't have to be drafted. They volunteered to come do it. And it says here that they were highly commended for what they did. And they were commended because basically their service for the greater good outweighed their own personal comfort or their own personal desires. In other words, they put service over self. Now, we just celebrated Veterans Day. Veterans Day is an important time where we remember those who served our, our nation in the military. It's an important time for us to, to remember those. Some were drafted and served. Some volunteered and served. But the underlying idea here is the idea that, that what these people did, the ones that we remember on Veterans Day, what they did was they gave up comforts and their own safety for the greater good of the nation. But just serving in the military is not the only way to serve for the greater good of the nation. All of us Every man and every woman and every child, it's important for us to realize that sometimes when it comes to serving, that we have to give up what maybe would be for our comfort or what maybe would be our desire for the greater good of those around us, a willingness to serve where we're needed for the greater good. Now, what is the greater good? Well, I'm sure if we ask everybody in here what the greater good was, we might come up with a whole bunch of, uh, of different answers. But actually, what we want to happen is that people need to serve where they're needed the most. That's kind of the principle I see here. And not to define what the greater good is, but basically people serving where they're needed the most, in their jobs, in their churches, in their homes, in their society, wherever. If you look at the, the needs around the world, if you look at the needs in our country, if you look at the needs in our, in our city, and if you pile them all up together, it's a pretty heavy <laughs> pile of stuff because there's a lot going on. There's a lot of things that need to be done. And if you look at them just in the sense of everything piled together that needs to be done, it can be overwhelming. But, but the way to have a, a, a strong nation, the way to have a strong community, the way to have a strong church for that matter, is when people all work together 
And in whatever area they are gifted, in whatever area they are called, they are willing to serve. They are willing maybe to give up something that's comfortable for them or something that's convenient for them to serve so that everyone benefits. And everyone working together certainly builds a stronger church, builds a stronger community, and builds a stronger nation. Service is very important. I, I love this, uh, this passage from, from Hebrews uh, chapter 13, beginning of verse 15. It says, Through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of our lips, that openly profess his name. And then verse 16 says, And do not forget to do good and to share with others for such sacrifice, with such sacrifices. God is pleased. God is pleased when we all do what he's called us to do. All doing our part to serve. Even in times where it's not convenient for us. The second thing that Nehemiah talks about is as far as an essential for a strong nation besides service, is a, a positive and a joyful attitude. Verse, uh, chapter 12, verse 27 says, At the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem, the Levites were sought out from where they lived and were brought to Jerusalem to celebrate joyfully the dedication with songs of thanksgiving and with the music of cymbals, harps, and lyres. And then verse 43 says, And on that day they offered great sacrifices, rejoicing because God had given them great joy. The women and children also rejoiced. The sound of rejoicing in Jerusalem could be heard far away. Nehemiah realized for a strong nation you needed people with a strong and a joyful uh, attitude. Now, after they had settled some problems about who was going to live where and all that, they dedicated the wall. I don't know if you remember back when we talked about uh, them building the wall. Some of their enemies uh, in, in the surrounding areas were, were ridiculing them. And, and one of the guys talked about how weak the wall was. And how that if just a fox crawled up on the wall, that, that it would all come falling down. When Nehemiah comes to the time where he's going to dedicate the wall. What he does is he calls all the musicians and the leaders together. He divides them up into two groups and they are to process along the top of the wall. Now, I think it's a great opportunity for them to, to walk across what they've built and, and to sing and to rejoice at what's been accomplished and, and how good God is and, and all of that. That's important for them. But something else is important for them is for them to be a witness for those who are outside. Their enemies who thought the wall was going to fall down all by itself. Here's a great opportunity for them to be marching along the top of the wall and to be a witness for those people outside it. Look, look, what's, what's built here through, through God's help is, is strong and it's enduring. And we're happy about it. It says that the, the, the sound of their rejoicing was heard um, for a long way off. It was important for them. So what's the lesson for us? When we come to the idea that if we're going to have a strong nation, then we have to be a positive uh, and, a, and a joyful people. Well, I think what it means for us 
and I really think what it meant for them, was the idea that, that our, our rejoicing, our positive attitude is not so much based on circumstances. I mean, let's face it, everything in Nehemiah's time, when they did this celebration and everybody was joyful, everything was not perfect in their lives and everything was not perfect in the nation. They still had enemies, they still had things going on in their own personal lives. But the thing was, they were rejoicing in the knowledge of the faithfulness of God and how good God was to them. So they could rejoice in spite of maybe not perfect circumstances because of what God had done in their lives and what God would continue to do in their lives. There's a wonderful passage that I love from Habakkuk. We never quote from Habakkuk. Uh, we rarely preach from Habakkuk. Habakkuk actually is a great book in the Old Testament. But, but here's the, the passage. It's in chapter 3 of Habakkuk, beginning in verse 17. Where he says, though the fig tree does not bud, and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails, and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen, and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to tread on the heights. It's a wonderful passage because that's where we find our joy. Things may be not perfect around us, but we can be positive and we can be joyful in what God has done and in what God is doing in our lives. But there's another part of this that applies to a joyful attitude. And it deals with our thoughts and the things that we think about. There's a passage in Philippians chapter 4 that says, And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. And you can read this and you can think, well, wait a minute. Does this mean that I just kind of walk around with this kind of fake smile on my face and just act like everything's all right with the world when I know things are going along? Is it, isn't this just kind of a, maybe a denial of reality that I'm not really going to think about the bad things? I'm just going to think about all these good things. Isn't that a denial of reality? No, I don't think it is at all. Uh, to the contrary, I think it's, it's, it's actually it's based on a reality. And it's based on a reality of the power and the providence of God. It's based on the reality of his love for us. It's based on the salvation that we know through Jesus Christ. It's based on the eternal home we have uh, waiting for us in heaven. That is reality for us. And so we do need to think on these positive things that, that we read about in Philippians. It's not a denial of reality. It's just a reinforcement of our reality is God's people. It's important for us to be positive people in spite of our circumstances. It's important for us to be joyful people and for everyone, everyone around us to see that. Now, the third thing that Nehemiah talks about, the third essential for a strong nation, is consistency. In chapter 12, verse 44, it says, At that time, Men were appointed to be in charge of the storerooms for the contributions, first fruits, and tithes. 
from the fields around the towns. They were to bring into the storerooms the portions required by the law for the priests and the Levites. For Judah was pleased with the ministering priests and Levites. They performed the service of their God and the service of purification as did also the musicians and gatekeepers according to the commands of David and his son Solomon. For long ago, in the days of David and Asaph, there had been directors for the musicians and for the songs of praise and thanksgiving to God. So in the days of Zerubbabel and of Nehemiah, all Israel contributed the daily portions for the musicians and the gatekeepers. They also set aside the portions for the other Levites. And the Levites set aside the portion for the descendants of Aaron. Nehemiah realized that it was important for people to be consistent if they were going to have a, a strong nation. Uh, during this time, the religious workers uh, were organized to conduct permanent worship services in the temple. Now, the priests and Levites had been appointed uh, beforehand. But the significance of these verses is the idea that they consistently performed those duties as they were prescribed. And not only did they perform those duties consistently as prescribed, but the people supported that ministry and that work as prescribed. A strong nation, I think, has to be consistent. I think it has to be consistent in its work ethic, in its judicial system, in its educational system, in its dealing with other nations, and in its execution of laws. And the weakness, a lot of times, lies in inconsistency, and a lot of times enemies will exploit inconsistencies. Philippians 1.27 says, Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel. Then whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I know that you stand firm in one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel. Christians have a great deal of influence in our society, not so much by our words, but by living consistent lives. Not consistently wrong lives, but lives that are consistent with what we profess to believe. Now, certainly churches uh, have to be consistent in proclaiming the Word of God. And certainly God's people need to be consistent in how they minister to others in the community and in their neighborhoods and, and other places where they are. They need to be consistent in their support of the work of the church. But... Out in society, there's a great need for us to be consistent as well. Not just consistent here in this church. Not just consistent once or twice a week when we come here. But consistent every day in every area of our lives. Because I think Christian employers need to be consistent in the way that they treat their employees. I think that Christian parents need to be consistent in the way that they discipline their children. I think that Christian friends need to be consistent in their friendship. I think that Christian workers of all kinds need to be consistent in their work ethic. And I think Christian students need to be consistent in their studies. And I think Christian citizens need to be consistent in paying their taxes and supporting other parts that we are called to support. I think we need to be consistent. 
Because what happens is, if we are inconsistent, people get a, all sorts of different views of, of what faith is all about. Because if, if, if you are not consistent in the way that you're disciplining your children, your children get all confused as far as the ideas of what's expected of them. You know, if you're not consistent as an employer, a Christian employer, in the way that you treat your employees, they get all sorts of different ideas about what your faith is like. If you're an educator, if, if you're not consistent in the way that, that, you, that you present yourself to your class and the way you teach, your children are going to get all sorts of conflicting uh, views. Consistency is important. And for us to really influence society, Christians have to be consistent in the way that they deal with other people at all levels and consistent in the way that we apply our faith in our daily lives. It's important for us. Now, granted, you can be consistent and be consistently wrong. So it's important for us to know that this idea of being consistent means that we study God's Word and we know what God's Word says so that we can apply it consistently to our lives. We need to know that. We need to look for the, the Holy Spirit to guide us and to help us understand areas that maybe we're not sure about so that we can be consistent in those areas. The message that we give to the world needs to be consistent. We can't throw out all these different views of, of, of what Christ is about or what the church is about or what we're about as believers. We need to be consistent, not just in our words that we say, but in how we conduct our lives in every aspect of our lives. It's important. That's why Jesus talked about us being salt and light in, in our society. Jesus used the idea that, that we need to be salt. Uh, why do you salt your food? You salt it so your food will taste like it's supposed to taste. Did you ever go to the store and buy a can of corn and you're not paying attention and you buy the one that doesn't have any salt in it? Now, I know that's healthy and, and all that, and I know uh, some of us, for different reasons, have to really watch uh, you know, our sodium. So I'm not, this is not a knock at, at, uh, at low salt corn but, but if you, if you if, but I'm going to tell you it's just kind of like eating nothing it really is crunchy nothing but it's nothing uh, but, but you know if you put salt in it it's not to taste the salt it's so the corn will taste like corn's supposed to taste that's why you put salt in it. When we as Christians are called to be salt and light, when we're called to be salt, we're to, we're to blend in with our society. Not, I don't mean blending in as we become like them, but by becoming a part of society and being consistent in what we do, we make society what society is supposed to be. Not to bring attention to ourselves, but to make society what it's supposed to be. But we've got to be consistent in that. You know, you can't put a little salt and a little pepper and a little this and every time and it's going to taste different. You've got to be consistent in how you apply that. And to be light. We're to be lights. By living consistent lives, we show people not only what it means to be a Christian, but we point people to Christ. We point people in the right direction. We point people to the one who can really make a difference in their lives. We point people to the one who is, who is ultimately consistent in his love for us. And in his offer of salvation to everyone. So it's important for us, as, as we look at, at, at our nation, not to look at it in the sense of, well, if we just pass more laws, 
Though good laws, as I said earlier, are important. Not just that we elect the right people, though doing that, I think, is, is important as well. But ultimately, what it comes down to is us. Those who, who are believers in Christ, living lives of service, living lives that are joyful, living lives that are consistent in our faith, that will really, truly make a difference in our nation. Let's pray.